you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Good morning, Sojourn Houston family. Um, My name is Reed. I am one of the pastors of Sojourn Montrose. Um, What an honor it is and a joy it is to be with you and open God's word um, on this first of what we hope is many Sojourn Houston Sundays, all Sojourn Houston Sundays. We are a family of churches. That relationship began 10 years ago um, this month when Sojourn Heights planted Sojourn Montrose. And and at that moment, a relationship began, right? Like Sojourn Heights was doing faithful ministry in the neighborhood, but when they planted Sojourn Montrose, that's when a family was born and has persisted. Our history is so important to our story There are hard parts of Sojourn Houston's history, primarily goodbyes. There are wonderful parts of Sojourn Houston's history, primarily the planting of new churches in Spring Branch, the Galleria, and most recently Southside. In the hard and the good, the Lord has been faithful. I don't believe it's dishonest at all to say that Sojourn Houston is healthier than we've ever been. And the reason It's because God has been kind to us. But more than that, and really in his kindness, these leaders, these pastors, your parish leaders, have journeyed together to grow in ways that reflect Jesus. Sojourn, I have seen your leaders over the past three years particularly commit not to numbers, not to status, not to influence, not to platform, not to gifting, But over the last few years, I've seen your leaders commit to growing in character, to growing in humility, in love, in generosity, in kindness, in gentleness, in transparency, in honesty. I hope you've felt that. That sounds a lot like something only the Holy Spirit can do. It is an amazing time to be part of this church family, not because we're the hot new thing. We aren't. (laughs) But because, because of how the Lord has pressed himself upon our people with his character. It's it's been done in a way, it's happening in a way that's, that's not only compelling, it's exactly what Urban Houston needs. I'm convinced that Urban Houston needs to experience men and women who look and feel and sound like Jesus. If that's compelling to you, stick with us. Pray for us, pray with us. I think the Lord has just started a particular work at Sojourn Houston, and I know he is faithful to complete it. And that said, this morning, as you've kind of heard, and, um, and maybe you haven't, we at Montrose have been in a short sermon series on time. So two weeks ago, we preached on the past and how a gospel lens in which we view the past can really shape our current reality. And then last week we preached on the future and how to look at our future through a gospel lens, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that influences our our current moment. And this morning my goal is, because I know many of you have not been in that sermon series, is to catch you up to speed on where we kind of are in our time series and, um, and spend time with you acknowledging the present. Not only just acknowledging this wonderful moment, which we all find ourselves in, but also acknowledging how a a gospel view of our past and a gospel view of the future really meet us in the now in a way that leads to peace. 
that leads to rest, that leads to presence, something we're all fighting for. There's something so wonderful about stopping to acknowledge that we are here together right now. Here we are. So I want to I want to pause in prayer, and prayer. I, I said this at Montrose, but prayer really is a acknowledgement of the present moment. It's an, an acknowledgement of who is sovereign, who is on the throne. It's an acknowledgement of our place in light of God in Christ on a throne, our High Priest and our King. So let me pray for us and our time this morning, and then we will um, begin together. Oh Jesus, we. Feel the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning within us and within this room. And we, we stop, we let um, whatever, whatever hard, burdensome, whatever shame, sadness, guilt we bring into this room this morning, whatever anxiety, worry, Whatever we bring into this room, Lord, for, for this moment together, would we exhale, would we breathe in your grace, would we exhale the worry and the shame, and would we be present with one another, a family, men and women, who are growing in our image of Jesus, who are growing in our love and unity. So I pray that this would not be missed on any in the room, and that 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 we would look back on this day and say, wow, that, the Lord was very kind to us that day. We pray this in your name. Amen. So like I just said, I, I want to spend some time catching y'all up to where we've been because we've been looking at how the, the lens of the gospel, how, how Jesus as God has changed how we as humans relate to time. And so let's start with the past. And really, our thesis just a couple weeks ago was that there are two disordered ways, two big buckets with which we can look at our past. Those two buckets are um, shame and nostalgia. So a disordered, negative, a disordered negative view of the past is shame, and a disordered positive view of the past is nostalgia. But both are disordered views of time. Let me explain. Right, like for those in Christ, shame is a disordered relational emotion related to our past because shame occurs when we look at what we've done, the worst things that we've done or the worst things that have ever happened to us and we start to believe that those things are us. Right, like shame starts to occur when we think those things are united with us, that we are inseparable from the worst things we've ever done and the worst thing that's ever happened to us. I can't rise above my unity with the horrible things in my past. Shame includes feelings of anger, injustice, sadness, guilt, grieving. But another way we see the past is through the lens of nostalgia, which says, uh, in relation to our past, it says, well, right now isn't that great. My future is not going to be great. Really, my best days lie in the past. Everything good that will ever happen to me, everything good that ever was for me lies in the rear view. Nothing will be better than what has already happened, right? It's, it's the true rose-colored glasses. It was, all, it was so much better back then that I can't be present. I'm fixated on what has happened in a positive way. But we know the gospel changes everything. It, it doesn't erase our past, but it changes our past. Let me read for you again Ephesians 1, 
Um, as, we, as we look at this text together, this is uh, verse 3. Um, and, and everything Cole read in, in the Greek New Testament, that's one sentence. This is one thought that Paul, it's a, it's a massive thought. Um, but this is one thought. Let's read it. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him now. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We'll pause there. Again, one long sentence. It's a complicated sentence. And the foundation of the sentence is worship. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. And the rest of the sentence is unpacking how the Son, how through the Son, the Father has blessed us in every spiritual blessing, right? So who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing? Here are the ways that he has blessed us in every spiritual blessing. And Paul, the author, plays with time. He shows us how throughout all time we have been blessed by Christ as those predestined before the foundation of the earth. Right now, something's happening, and he shows us how in the fullness of time, all things will be reconciled to him. So this is a sentence about where we sit in the, in the grand spectrum of all time. So the first blessing is a framing of the past. You have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. Why? For the purpose of being holy and blameless today. Which means for those in Christ who have been adopted into the family of God through the work of Jesus, if you, if you have given your life to Jesus, you stand before him presently as holy and blameless. That's what that means. How is that possible? Well, the way God chose to make us holy and blameless is that he, God eternal, Christ preeminent from the beginning of time, eternal above the timeline, the way he chose to do that is God entered time. God entered time in the incarnation in, of Christ. He makes us holy in two ways. One, he, he lives a righteous life bound by time. And for those in Christ, that righteous life is applied to us. And two, he makes us blameless by experiencing death and therefore atoning for our sin. The sin we would be blamed for, the sins we've committed that we would be blamed for if not for Christ's work on our behalf. And so your future or your past failures, rather, your past shame, the worst things you've ever done or the worst things that have ever been done to you, those things no longer define you. Why? Because your identity in the present, because of what he has done in the ages past, is this, holy and blameless. He has made us holy and blameless in Christ. And therefore, we have been adopted into his family. So through a gospel lens, we can look at our past, not with shame or nostalgia, but with gratitude and wisdom. We learn from what we experience. We look back and we can begin to grasp gratitude for the worst things we've ever done or the worst things that have ever happened to us. Why? Because God has made us holy and blameless. He's changed what marks us in the present. That's a look at our past. What about our future? Well, likewise, there are two big buckets with which we can view our future. 
Again, due to sin, due to our fallen nature, we have a disordered relationship with our future as well. These two ways are fatalism, a negative view of our future, or utopianism, that everything is just about to be perfect. Fatalism is the belief that everything is falling apart, right, from a cultural perspective, um, or if you think about our, our time in the West, right, like the culture is falling apart, or, or the planet is falling apart. Everything's just going to get worse and worse and worse. But utopianism is the belief that, well, with the right votes, with the right laws, with the right leaders, we're about to be able to create paradise for ourselves here on earth. And so on an individual level, the fatalist believes that everything in their life is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Their career, their marriage, their health, it's all going to get worse. Their current suffering might persist. Their desires will remain unmet. But on the other side, the utopian, they're just one thing away from everything being right. Right? They're, they're one raise away from being able to afford everything they've ever wanted. They're, they're one, one move, one new house away. They're one, one career move away, one relationship away, one project away from everything fitting neatly into place. And aha, Eden here on earth, utopia here on earth. I've created it, I've attained it. Then I will rest. So to the fatalist, there's a distinct lack of trust in the Lord that he has good things for us in the future. And the reality is there, there may be suffering in your future. Actually, spoiler, there will be suffering in your future. But if we believe that God works all things for his good, which we do, then when suffering comes, we can lean into the truth of God's word. We can lean into God's people. We can lean into community because we believe that suffering is for our good. And here's what Romans 5.3 says about suffering. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character changes our relationship with time. Does that make sense how Paul has linked suffering to hope? It changes how we view the future when we acknowledge that our suffering is for our character and endurance, and those things lead to hope. It changes our view of the future. But for the fatalist, we need not worry about we need not worry in anxiety regarding our future. We're told in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried that all will go wrong. God is present in the future. Do we trust him? And for the utopian, James, the brother of Jesus, addresses the other side in James 4, 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So Jesus says, don't worry about the future. I am present there. You don't have to be a fatalist. And James is saying, also, don't make all these grandiose plans for creating utopia in the future. Placing your future hope into this temporal earth. Once I get the job, once I get the house, once I get the relationship, once I get the salary, whatever it might be, when I get to do that thing, everything will be great. Well, the answer is without Jesus, no. 
We can't create utopia. We can't create a kingdom for ourselves apart from the king. Let's read in Ephesians, um, starting at the end of verse 9, regarding our future hope, and then we'll backtrack and look at the present reality. It says this, according to the purpose of Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? It means today we are guaranteed a future. Today we are sealed with a future inheritance. The inheritance is guaranteed by the very spirit of Christ. So not only were we predestined in eternity past for salvation today, not only for those of us in the room has Jesus done something in the past, namely dying and rising again to save us, he has also done something for our future. We've been predestined today for something that will come. In his resurrection as the firstborn of the dead, our future contains a resurrected body and an eternal life. And as he ascends to the throne as our king, where he now rules over all things, which includes your future, he also pours out his spirit upon us. The spirit sanctifies us and seals us with the promise of an inheritance of the king. So we who have hope in him, we have hope in him now, future hope hope in this eternal inheritance. We will share in him, those who are united with Christ, we will share it with him the future inheritance, which is secure, which means you will inherit a resurrected body, a wedding feast, and dominion over a resurrected creation. That is the sealed future for you in the room who are in Christ. That's a big deal for your future. God of all eternity entered time He entered time and put himself under the spell of time, the decay of time, the result of the fall, death itself. And then in his resurrection, he enters the eternal and allows us to exit time. So with a proper gospel lens, as the Holy Spirit enables us to view our past with gratitude and wisdom and our future with sobriety and hope, we now can live with a gospel-oriented lens toward time itself. And I would argue that this looks like everything stopping. It looks like everything stopping, the noise in your life stopping, the voice in your life stopping. Here's what I mean. Most of us, myself included, live day to day, either talking directly to ourselves constantly, or sometimes there's an accusatory voice from the outside coming into your head. Either way, our heads tend to be filled with chatter. And most of that chatter is concerned with the past or it's concerned with the future. Rarely am I able to faithfully be present. Sometimes it's it's you talking to yourself, right? But sometimes it's Satan who the Bible calls the accuser. But this is how we live. We, We get fixated on past events that bring us shame or anger or guilt, or we get fixated on the past where everything was better. We did things better. My life was better, more enjoyable. 
Or we, we do this with the future, right? We, we get fixated on what's going to happen, what could happen, what we want to happen. And this is how I live, so hear me confessing this with you. I oscillate between fixating on my past and my future. Like sometimes I, I spend a lot of time in the past, so I think about a lot about shame or nostalgia, but sometimes I give myself a break and worry about the future. <laughs> like I'm like, let me, let me give shame a break today and I'm gonna be anxious today about, about the future. Or I get, I get fixated just daydreaming about how, man, when we do this thing to our house, then everything's gonna be great, then I'll be happy. And so that's why I say it's, it's noise, right? This is on play in my head almost 24 hours a day, uh, unless I'm asleep. So like 18 hours a day, this is on play in my head. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to bounce between making myself sad and angry and guilty about the past and then dreaming about how it could all be better or anxious about what might happen to me or those I love. This is no way to live. In fact, in fact, I think in every moment of our lives, we who are in Christ are being invited to break this spell that time has on us and come to him for rest. Come to him for quiet. This is what Jesus means in part when he says these words in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. All who labor, all who are weary with a past that's filled with sin, all who are heavy laden and burdened with a future that certainly includes suffering, come to Jesus, and he will give you rest. Do you need those words this morning? This is the promise of the gospel that people who are anxious, people who are guilty, people who are consumed with our past or consumed with our future can instead come to Christ, take his yoke upon ourselves, which is easy, a light burden, an easy labor, and you will achieve rest for your souls today. How is this possible? Through Jesus, how is this possible? This is what Ephesians 1, 7 says about the current moment. In him, we have right now redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he is lavishing upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us constantly the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in himself, things in heaven and things on earth. This is how we have rest in Jesus. It's simple but profound. First, Ephesians tells us we have redemption. We aren't waiting for redemption. We aren't longing for redemption. We aren't looking back at our lives and wishing that we had taken hold of redemption at some future point. We have redemption. We have been reconciled to God. He entered time. He lived righteously. He died unjustly. He rose majestically. He ascended triumphantly. He sent you in generosity his spirit. You have redemption. The cost was his blood. And two, Ephesians 1.9 tells us that this mystery, that is the redemption of our souls, has been revealed to us. It's not a secret. It's not hidden from you. Paul says, in perfect wisdom and insight, God has lavishly washed you with the grace 
of his mysterious will that's been revealed in his word, revealed by his spirit. The plan to save his people has been revealed to you here and now. This is the plan of old, that God would save a people both to whom and through whom he would reveal himself to the world. That Jesus has been promised a people That mystery has been revealed to him, a people through whom he chooses to bring his goodness and righteousness and love into the world through you, brothers and sisters. And not only is that a past reality, but it's a future reality, right? When the fullness of time will come, all things in heaven and on earth will be united to him, all things, all creation, all of his people, you and me who know him and love him. The truth of past and future, the truth of all things, is that right now you are known as well as you will ever be known by the God of the universe and you are loved as much as you will ever be loved by the God of the universe. There's nothing else you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to sever it. If you're in Christ, it is true now. Gratitude from the past, hope for the future, rest in the present. It only happens when you run to Christ as your savior. This is hard. This takes a great degree of trust. The power comes from the Holy Spirit, this power to enter his rest, and it's made best, Scripture tells us, in our weakness. That means when we suffer, that's when the Holy Spirit enables us to enter that rest more fully, right? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made best in weakness, God says in 1 Corinthians 12. Excuse me. So one thing we can do is practice this right now, right? Like right now, we inhabit as men and women who are on a timeline. We don't know the number of our days. We are on a timeline of a story of our life. But right now, we inhabit this space together in this moment. Sojourn Houston, five churches. We have a past. We have a future. Uh, I, I think most of you have probably have probably marveled at some point this morning of how full the room is, how wonderful it is to hear the voices of these brothers and sisters, some of whom I know very well, some of whom I don't know well, but we all call ourselves members of this same family of churches. Out of all people, out of all people who have ever lived, out of all people who live today, out of all people who will ever live until Christ returns, we are here right now together. We are here right now not doing nothing. We are worshiping the reigning King Jesus together. That is marvelous. And one thing, another thing we can do is remember that we are anchored in this story. It's partly why our logo is an anchor. The word sojourn is really antithetical, if you think about it, to the symbol of an anchor, right? Sojourn means a temporary stay. A, a sojourn through a land means we journey for a short while, but, but an anchor It symbolizes rooting somewhere, stopping somewhere, being somewhere, being stopped. An anchor holds us down, sometimes for a short while, but the idea of an anchor is that you're staying. Well, both are true. We are here in Houston. We are here in this room together. We are here in this church family, this Sojourn Church family together. We are here on mission together, but it's going to be a short journey. It's been 10 years for Montrose. I'm asking the Lord what he might do in the next 10 years. But, but even if he gives us 100 years compared to eternity, it's nothing. So while we are only here in this place, in this time for a short while, carrying the mission to make the name and fame of Jesus known to our neighbors in our city, 
While all that is true, we stayed anchored in the story that we are a part of. We stay anchored in the good gospel, anchored in our salvation in Christ, anchored in our future inheritance, anchored in the story of all stories, the story of Jesus Christ, God made flesh who died and rose again. Jesus, who was sent by the Father to claim his people through his blood and did so willingly. Jesus, who is the firstborn of the dead. Jesus, who reigns on the throne of creation. Jesus, who has poured out his Holy Spirit. Jesus, who lives to intercede for us in this moment as our great high priest. Hebrews 6 calls this a steadfast and sure anchor to the soul. This Jesus who knows you and loves you and called you to himself for his glory and your good, that is our God. Part of anchoring ourselves in this story is why every Sunday we rehearse a liturgy together across the city that reminds us of the gospel story, right? We're, we're called into God's presence by the Holy Spirit who brings us to confession, but he doesn't leave us there. He assures us of his pardon. He assures us that we are known and saved and loved. We are reminded to pass peace with one another because peace has been made between us and God. So we pass the peace that we have between us and God to one another. We are reminded to be generous as God has been generous to us in Christ. We hear the gospel proclaimed through the riches of his grace, as Ephesians calls it, the revealed will of God. We hear that proclaimed. Then we come to the table to feast on Christ himself, to share a meal. And then we are sent to invite others to the same table of a meal of Jesus See, Sojourn does liturgy because it anchors us in the story of the gospel. Sojourn is gospel-centered because the story is not about us. It's about Jesus, and it's about him reconciling all things to himself. So we are anchored in this wonderful gospel story. And further, in community, we anchor each other more and more deeply into the story of Jesus as well. We need neighborhood parishes because we need each other to help each other orient correctly towards time. We need brothers and sisters to say, hey, I, you're carrying a burden that Jesus died for. Stop it. Or you're anxious about a future that Jesus has secure. Let's pray. Let's posture ourselves correctly towards time, brother, sister. And we plant churches. We do so in neighborhoods like Montrose, Spring Branch, the Gallery Inn, Southside. We are bold to ask for the Lord to use us to plant more healthy churches that are anchored in the gospel story. In a moment, we'll come to this table together. And I want you to see before we do how past, future, and present meet at the communion table, right? At the table, we remember the past. We remember the cost of reconciliation to God. We remember the cost that Jesus paid, his body and blood, for us to have a past that's gathered up and redeemed in the present. That Jesus died for our sins. We remember that. We have redemption through his blood, as Ephesians tells us. We also look forward at the table, right? At the same time we're thinking about our past and the sins that Jesus died for, we're thinking about a heavenly banquet that awaits us, a wedding feast, Revelation tells us. One that doesn't need the sun because Jesus is the light in our midst. And at the meal, because it orients us properly to our past and our future, we can simply be present. 
we can simply be still and know he is God, as Psalm 4610 tells us. Sedra, would you, would you rest in Jesus today? Would you anchor yourself in the gospel story more fully today? Remember, he left eternity and entered time. He saved you. He rose again and in a real body. He sits above time and above all creation. And when the fullness of time has come, he will invite us to leave time as well. What a joy it is to be together with you right now in this moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss what God is doing right now. With unapologetic gratitude and bold hope, let's pray and come to the table. Oh, Jesus, would we linger in this moment together here for just a moment longer? Would we see ourselves as you see us, holy and blameless? Would we feel as if we have been adopted in your family, which is true? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, in this moment, impress the truth of your gospel on our hearts more deeply? Oh, Lord, we need you. I pray that if there's any who are in this moment consumed with shame or guilt, would you remind them that you bled and died to redeem that? If there are any consumed with anxiety about the future or consumed with what might all be great if they only had blank, would you tell them, ah, you're my child, my whole inheritance, which is all of creation, heaven and earth, reconciled, all of that is yours. My whole inheritance I share with you. And so with boldness and sobriety, we know that if we engage in suffering or, or whatever the future might hold, Lord, we trust that you will be there with us. You will lead us through the valley. And if that hastens the day that we get to be with you, so be it. Give us strength. Gosh, as the, the song said, get strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Oh, King Jesus, we worship you. We take your easy yoke. Would you give me that easy yoke today? Can I put my burdens on you, Jesus? Can I enter your rest more fully? Lord, would Sojourn Houston glorify your name. Amen.